just witnessed a demonstration of the principles that we've been talking about. What a treasure. And I think of the song or the phrase, the family that sings together, clings together. Well, I can tell you this, trying to get a family together to practice singing is not always a simple project. <laughs> but what a blessing to be able to witness the fruit of that kind of commitment to the Lord and to each other. So thanks, Robs. I really appreciated that. The blessing. Would you take your Bibles and go to 2 Timothy, the second chapter? And our text is found in verse 1 and 2. And I will try hard to keep within the time. I knew, I told the group in the meeting this morning, I said, this morning's going to be a challenge for me. There's so much in that that I feel passionate about. We're looking at the role of the church in the educational process. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul says this, Thou therefore, my son, and I like this, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Here again, I think we just have to say that any, any uh, achievement in learning, any degree of growing and becoming more like God, is a result of God's grace. Remember my dad, sometimes we'd be together as a family, and I'd see tears in his eyes. He would say to us children, I want you to know something, that what we experience as a family is simply the grace of God. See, my dad, in his early married years, had a tough journey. But as I was a young boy, God got a hold of his life. And my dad began to make some choices and decisions that affected our lives in a positive way. In fact, I've thought about it. What would have happened if it would have gone the other way? could be a whole different story. So I would say to us, grace is a tremendous aspect of education. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others. Some preliminary observations. God is concerned, first of all, that the educational process continues from one generation to the next. How many would agree with me that the children of Israel struggled with this? Seemed like one generation was all gung-ho for God. And then the next generation, apostasy set in. God's goal is that from generation to generation, His work and His purposes are carried out. The second point I would make or observation here in the beginning would be that the church needs to be proactive in implementing and following through with this challenge and this concern 
in the educational process. And the third observation would be simply this. The church needs to be alert to the faithful men and sisters who can teach others, men who can continue the transmission of faith. The question that begs to be answered this morning is, what role does the church really play in the educational process of our people? How does the church complement and assist or further stimulate what should have already taken place in the home? How does the church give feet to the ongoing development, spiritually, intellectually, socially, to its members? You know, as I thought about this, several hurdles came into my mind that we face today. I would say to us there are some hurdles that need to be overcome or at least looked at if we are to effectively continue this educational process. And I'd like to read beginning at verse 1, number of verses here, verse 15. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others. Now there's a shift that happens, verse 3, that has to do with some of the hurdles that I'm talking about. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must first be partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble, oh really? As an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, Yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. I like this verse. Steady to show thyself approved unto God. That's a key phrase right there. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Perhaps I can introduce my subject this afternoon by saying a, several things from this passage. A son or a daughter who pursues the road and the choice of education needs to be strong. To choose a, a, a course of life of ministry 
The word strong there means to enable, to empower, to increase in strength. I'm simply saying that to choose this, a son or a daughter, an individual in God's kingdom, needs to be strong. Secondly, a son needs to be able to endure hardness. A son or daughter who chooses education needs to be able to endure hardness, to go through trouble, to face hardships, and to suffer loss. Thirdly, a son or daughter needs to refuse the entanglements, and that means to get woven in or to get caught in or to be consumed with. Number four, a son or daughter needs to be willing to labor, to war, to strive, and yes, to steady. Labor means to toil, it means to work, to expend energy. War means to face battle, to fight, to engage the enemy. Strive means to contend, to compete. Steady means to be diligent, hasten to do it, exert oneself. And I conclude that little portion of my talk by saying a son or daughter who is going to pursue the path of education needs to be willing to take the road less traveled. The road of personal sacrifice, the road of personal purging, the road of personal peradventures. And you know, I think it's not without reason that you have these illustrations given to us today. The soldier, he endures hardship. He refuses the entanglements that he may please him who has chosen him. The athlete who competes, he prepares, he strives lawfully, and he is crowned. The farmer who labors, and he is the partaker of the fruits. And the student who studies and works and divines truth, divides truth for God's approval. You know what? We discover the road less traveled in our churches today. And I would say to you that this is a road that I'm proposing or that we have before us today is less traveled in our world today. And the question that comes to me is, why is that? I think we need to think as a church, why would we not pursue this road? Why would we pursue other roads? What are the hurdles or what are the reasons this road would be less traveled? Then I get kind of passionate here. Why is it so hard to get school teachers? Why is it so difficult to get qualified leaders? Why is it so difficult to get willing Sunday school teachers? Why is it so challenging to get missionaries? Why is it so challenging to get people who are truly committed? What are those hurdles that the church faces today? Well, let me just introduce this by saying just as society and culture expresses their values in concrete ways, so we as a church express our values in concrete ways. And some of those concrete ways, let me just remind us, conflict 
with the encouragement of this text that we have just read. One of the hurdles that needs to be overcome in our, in our settings here today, and bear with me, the hurdle of the pursuit of the American dream. This is no idle thing. I remember when Ellie and I were first married, every young couple would like to own their own home. Every young couple would like to have their own place. We received the call to go to mission work while in debt. What do you do? Do you give four years of your life without any manageable income? What about the American dream? What about the desire to own your own home? What about all of these things? Wealth, comfort, security, hard work, good deals, lots of things, popularity, position, and fame, individualism, independence, self-reliance. All of us want to be self-reliant, or we'd like to be able to take care of ourselves, right? I say that a hurdle to what we read in our text today is the pursuit of the American dream. Secondly, the perceived threat of education. In our circles, you don't want to study the Bible too much because if you study the Bible too much, it will confuse you. So in our Amish churches back home, no one has a Bible. I usually take mine with me when I go to Amish services. Secondly, education will rob you of your faith in God. Will it? Does it need to? Absolutely not. Or education will bring certain apostasy into the church. Does it? I'm not so sure that education has brought as much apostasy into the church as some other things. What is genuine Christianity? Do our young people see it lived out in our lives? But then there's a third hurdle that I think keeps people from traveling the less traveled path of pursuing education, and it's this. The practical expectations of those in ministry or of those who choose the less traveled path. Missionaries, school teachers, pastors are expected to live sacrificially. They're expected to settle for second best from a culture viewpoint. They're expected to give without compensation. And they're expected to provide for their family, provide for the church, plus try to somehow make life come together. We came home from Canada, serving four years in missions up there, and I remember distinctly thinking about something. And here was the question that came to me. Dave, 
What are you going to do? Are you going to choose the American dream? Are you going to choose security and wealth? Are you going to choose ministry as a way of life? And I knew full well that to choose ministry as a way of life was going to be costly. Back then, many years ago, I made a decision that I would choose ministry over material things. Probably encouraged by my dad standing with us boys out by the pig pen. I remember with tears lamenting that he did not have much to give us in the way of material things. Because he didn't have much. We would have said he gave it all away. <laughs> he didn't really, but... But he said this to us. He said, I hope that I have given you what will take you safely to the other side. You know what, people? It's time we stop and think about what really is a priority for us in life. Because I can tell you this. For our young people growing up, a lucrative job offer has a lot more appeal than spending four years at a Bible institute or of four years in college. I find that young people, they get out of high school, you know what they think about? How can I make, how can I make money? I need money. And so I would say the challenge the church faces is at least threefold. Number one, we must first of all, if we're going to assist and help in education, we must first of all evaluate our value systems. Are our value systems truly biblical in principle and in practice? Secondly, does life consist in the abundance of things or does it consist in knowing God? Does life consist in having bread? Or does it consist with every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God? And, shouldn't ask this one, I know. Is godliness with contentment great gain? Or do we need a lot more? Not only do we evaluate our value systems, but we secondly must examine our priorities. Do our priorities as a church reflect God's priorities? Are we implementing programs in our church that will increase biblical literacy? Are we providing programs or opportunities that will effectively train our people to serve in ministry and to serve in the kingdom? Are we actively discerning the gifts and talents of our members and providing opportunities for the exercise of those gifts? This is huge. You know, I think back to my own journey as a young man in the church, and I remember being tapped on the shoulder. I was pretty young when I was asked to lead singing in our congregation. Scared, yes. Could I do it? Not sure. But so began a journey of involvement in the life of the church, which God used to prepare my life for ministry. 
The third thing, we must evaluate our programs. Are we willing to see our young men and women adequately prepared, trained, and equipped? And how can we best do this? How will we provide fellowship, accountability, and interaction with those who choose the college education? I was talking to a young girl who went to EBI and then to college, and I asked her this question, and we've had several students in college, and I just said, are we as a church doing a good job in meeting the needs of our college students? She looked at me and she just said, I don't think so. She told me this, she said, if it had not been for her plugging in with a youth group in the location where she was in college, she doubts that she would have made it through. In talking to some of our own students who are in college, I've often wondered, and I don't say, we don't have a program, but what can we do to stand with our young people when they are in, and you know what, they face, they face the culture right head on. We have to find a way as a church to somehow stand beside them in that process. It's almost like they enter a whole different world, particularly if they're going to a secular college. So how do we provide fellowship and accountability to those who choose college education? And you know, as I reflected on the role of the church in the educational process, there are a number of suggestions that I would like to give to us today as to how the church can actually encourage and stand beside those who choose this path. I have about five things here. Number one, I believe the church needs to stand by or assist by a solid proclamation of biblical truth. Uh, the testimonies this morning would simply say that a lot of truth is picked up through the preaching of the word. Let me also encourage us. Let's not just have itching ears. Sometimes we say, well, that preacher is boring. <laughs> I used to kind of grin when my children would say, well, dad, that sermon was pretty boring. And I said, I want you guys to know something. You can also discipline your hearing. I said, if you come with a heart that really wants to hear truth, in the most boring of sermons, you'll be able to pick up the voice of God in your life. Let me just encourage. I have a young man in our church. He just blesses me. The call of God is on his life. He sits in the front, and when I'm preaching... He is right with me. He is taking notes. So, and this is, he's probably, he's still in school. He's in, uh, he's a junior, I think, this year. He's taking notes. Yeah. We live in a culture. <laughs> I just, you know, it's amazing. We live in a culture that has grown very, very soft. If it's not spoon-fed to us, we want no parts of it. I'm telling you, if you're going to pursue the less traveled path, you have to learn to endure hardness. You have to learn to discipline your life. You have to learn to do without. You have to learn to make personal sacrifices for the work of the kingdom. The second thing that I believe the church can do is encourage its members to an active acquisition of truth, taking notes of the messages, 
Keeping a spiritual journal. How many of you, I shouldn't ask that probably. Do you keep a spiritual journal? Some of you struggle with your personal devotions. I find that it is so helpful to keep a spiritual journal. And you know what's really interesting is to look back at what you were facing two years ago, three years ago, ten years ago. And you can see what God has done in your life through that. And of course, the importance of searching the scripture cannot be overemphasized. Thirdly, the church can assist by discovering gifts within the body and stirring up or encouraging the exercise and development of those gifts. This leads me to this little question that I would like you to think about as adults. How many of you, in your journey of faith, can think back to an older brother or sister tapping you on the shoulder and giving you encouragement in a given area of your life? Our bishop was so good at that. He'd often come up and he would ask me, he said, Dave, how things going in your walk with the Lord? And there's something so reassuring and affirming about other people seeing gifts that God has placed within you and then to give you the opportunity or to encourage that. Have you ever gone to someone and said, have you ever considered going to Bible school? Have you ever considered nursing? Have you ever considered teaching? Uh, this young man from our church is in the medical field. And uh, he was not planning to be a medical doctor when he started off, but he received a good bit of an encouragement in the process of his education. I'm not sure that's where he's going to end up yet. But encouragement means a lot to providing uh, the kind of strength in, in the pursuits that our young people have. Number four. I think we need to provide lots of opportunities for the development of gifts within the bodies. I heard you talk about Sunday school teaching this morning. Ellie, she'll tell you. I talked about her the other night. She, now, if she would have been asked to get up like uh, Steve's wife today and share, she would have been quite reluctant to do that. She doesn't consider herself a teacher, or she would say it's hard for her to express herself. But do you know what? Does that mean that she shouldn't teach. She has accepted teaching responsibilities even though it's not her gifting. And remember what I said yesterday. God is able to do amazing things through imperfect, <laughs> I like this, imperfect vessels. I hate to tell you this, but you're all a little imperfect. You just don't realize it, some of you. But <laughs> every one of us, without God, we have no, no base to stand on. And God's able to do amazing things. So whether it's teaching Sunday school, Bible school, leading singing, Sunday evening program topics, Bible study leaders, being superintendent. Brother Paul talked about uh, chairing, moderating committees. Uh, all of those things can be tools that God uses and that we as a church can support. 
Then the last one I have is simply by mentoring, supporting, discipling, and providing resources for those seeking formal education or specific callings or interests. Say Bible school, college, and those kinds of things. Just this past week, I got the news that a school teacher that impacted my life in the seventh grade, eighth grade, had a major stroke and has been kind of hanging between life and death through the last week. Seventh grade, we had this speech class, which I hated. I still remember the fear and the trembling. And we had to give speeches to each other, but then we had to, there was just going to be this final speech that we had to give in front of all of the high school students at Greenwood Mennonite School. And I want to tell you people, I was just scared spitless. And my stomach was just in knots. And I chose to speak, it was supposed to be a humorous speech. So I, I chose to speech on table manners in a humorous way. I don't think anyone laughed. <laughs> and I remember getting finished and I, I just felt so deflated. I was like, oh man, there is no way that this is going to be a part of my journey of life. Just a personal testimony. You know what God knew? God knew way back in seventh grade that I needed that class. I still remember many of the things we talked about in that class. And one thing I'd like to encourage you young people is, you, you may have no idea at this point in your life where God wants to take you. But I would say to you, avail yourself of every opportunity to learn and to grow. Went to Rosedale Bible Institute. Well, let me just say about this teacher, Mr. Mean. <laughs> this was a teacher that you either loved him or hated him. I, I'll tell you, it was amazing the reaction to him. He'd sit at his desk. I could still see him. His eyes roving the classroom, just waiting, it seemed like, just waiting for you to do something. But can I tell you this? And I can't explain it. But until seventh grade, I kind of drifted through school. I remember taking my report card home. I got all in the bus and I was like, this is not going to be good. <laughs> because I had a D in citizenship. And I knew my dad was not going to be happy. In fact, if I look back on my report cards, there would be these notes from the teacher. And it would say, David seems to be having trouble with this and this and this. And then I'd read my dad's notes back. I remember one note he wrote back. He said, I wasn't aware that David was having this problem. <laughs> but we want to work with it. 
But can I say that teacher changed my educational pursuit. Something within that teacher affected my response to school. And you know what? Seventh grade, as a little boy, I decided to give school everything I had. And immediately, my grades began to improve. I developed that, went to Rosedale, and I remember at Rosedale having this determination. Above everything else that I was going for, my studies would take first priority in my life. Remember Elam Peachy. The guy was a living Bible. I remember Hebrews class. I, After listening to him a few times, I said, man, there's only one way to beat this guy. I'm going to have to memorize the book of Hebrews because I know good and well <laughs> there's going to be questions that... So I started memorizing the book of Hebrews. But he had this crazy idea that you should outline. He liked you to outline everything. In his classes, I outlined the book of Hebrews. I outlined the book of Revelation. I outlined the book of Daniel. I outlined the Hebrew sacrifices. How many of you in school, and it's funny because when I get to my students in school, as soon as we hit the, the pace on outlines, <laughs> and they don't want to use an outline, they want to write, the, they, they just want to go ahead and write. Forget the outline. <laughs> Forget the preparation. Let's just write, you know. And I say, you know what? You need to learn to make an outline. I had no idea as a student at Rosedale Bible Institute that God was using that in my life. And I'll never forget going to Northern Youth Programs when Ellie and I, and if you think I was... <laughs> I sometimes come across as pretty confident, pretty outgoing, and that kind of thing. But there's a pretty insecure little, just ask my wife, but we got the Northern Youth Programs, and after being there and looking through the syllabus of the teacher before me and going into the shop, I made up my mind. I was like, I'm not teaching. There is no way I can teach. I just can't do this. At supper time, Ellie asked me, she said, Dave, what's wrong? Because she can tell, if I don't eat, there's something wrong. And I had made up my mind, I was going to Don Showalter, and I was going to tell Don Showalter, Don, I'll do anything else, but I can't teach. Somehow Don was busy that night, and I didn't get to him. And I went to bed, Ellie and I were in bed, laying there in bed, and I was just struggling. Wanted to go home. Somewhere in the midst of that, I recognized that I had an enemy that was determined to defeat God's purpose in my life. And I had never done this before, but out loud that night in bed, I said, Satan, in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave. And you know, I rolled over and went to sleep. Now, there's a lot of lessons from that little illustration Years later, or I did tell Don later on, but I taught, and God was faithful, and he kept me through 
that situation. But Don came to me that first year. He said, Dave, would you teach Sunday school class? And I remember saying, what am I going to teach? I'm here in missions. I'm busy. You know what I did? I pulled out my Hebrews outline. I had my material already, basically. You know what I'm saying? Young person, you never know. Hear me, hear me well. You never know how God's paths are training you for the place that he wants you to fulfill. My only regret, <laughs> I have, well, I have, no, I say my own, I've got a lot of regrets. But when it comes to education, I wanted to go to college. And I took college prep. And I kind of planned to be a teacher, history or a Bible teacher. But my junior year of high school, my dad lost his job. And we were in need. And so he asked me if I'd be willing to work. My senior year of high school, I worked during the day and went to school at night with a dropout, <laughs> kind of a dropout program. Now, I did learn two things that year. I did learn how to do blueprint reading and drafting. But the English class I was in didn't give me a whole lot. And the other, I only needed like two credits, didn't give me a whole lot. I still have one. <laughs> I tell people if I could just do what I wanted to do right now, I'd go back to school. I would love to just take in, take in, take in, take in. It seems like I'm giving out. I would just love to take in. Let me encourage us as a church and as individuals to pursue every opportunity God gives us to grow and to become more like him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the church. Father, I know that there's a lot of things about the church that sometimes create questions. And yet I still believe that the church has so much to offer us. And I thank you for this congregation. And I pray your blessing on them as they seek ways to encourage each other to take the less traveled path as they face the hard questions, that you would give them strength and wisdom. Lord, may your name be lifted up and glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.